About 10 years ago, I was feeling stuck. Uh, not necessarily career-wise. I, I really enjoyed my job. Not family-wise. Uh, wife and kids were great. But uh, really just spiritually. You know, the Old Testament tells us about how the Israelites transitioned from slavery in Egypt into the land of promise. But there was 40 years worth of desert in between. And it sort of felt like that. I knew that there was a promised land. I had heard about it before. But it felt like I had been... a away from it for a long time and was just having to take other people's words for it and in that season I would ask God you know uh, is this my fault am I making bad decisions and that's why I feel like you're far away that my prayers aren't being answered that you uh, seem distant and and looked at my life and as best that I could tell didn't seem to be that I was making some decisions to make me feel that way and so I would ask God how long am I going to have to be in this season how long am I going to have to be stuck Right around that time, Amanda and I were in an an event in Atlanta, and at the end of it, uh, the young woman who was running the sound engineering and the lighting and all of those different things, she came up to us and said, would you mind if I I prayed for you? And um, it's in the pastor bylaws that you're never allowed to reject prayer if somebody offers it, you just have to to take it. And so she began to pray for us, and one of her opening sentences was, um, God you know that Curtis has been asking you how long he's going to feel stuck. I'm Baptist, so I kept my eyes closed, but my jaw was hitting the ground. She began to pray things for us that I don't know that I had told Amanda. They were specific phrases that I had written down in my journal. They were very specific requests that I had just made in the privacy of my own relationship with God. And yet it seemed like she had that journal and was reading it and then was praying, uh, praying for us. What if tonight, what if that kind of gift doesn't just belong to a very select group of people? What if God would use just regular people like you and I to minister in that way? Because I will tell you, I was deeply ministered to. For a long time, I had felt like maybe God had forgotten me. But because she used her New Testament spiritual gift of prophecy, I knew that God knew exactly where I was how long I was going to be there and where we were headed. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The scripture says in verse 1, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. For nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. You see in your listening guide, hopefully that you received on the way in, there are some places for you to take notes. I really would like for you to write some things down if you're able to, if you have a pen or you could borrow one from the person sitting next to you. I'm going to be honest, tonight's message isn't particularly inspiring. You're not going to run out of here charging uh, probably, but the things that we'll talk about are very, very important, Uh, not just for our own personal life, but for the kind of church that we want to be. And so it's one of those things that I would like you to remember. and I'd like for me to remember and writing those things down uh, helps ensure that. So there are a few things that I want you to see. First, pursue love as foundation for any meaningful contribution to other believers. Pursue love as the foundation for any contribution 
any meaningful contribution to other believers. Verse 1 of chapter 14, pursue love. Love is the aim. In fact, the apostle Paul was so dedicated to love being the goal among this church that he wrote a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, about love. We usually bump into it at weddings, but that was not his intent as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was a manual for how to get along at church and how to love one another well. And it says this in the opening lines of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So the apostle Paul is saying, imagine yourself having your hands full of something meaningful to offer a church family. Every church is messed up. Every church needs to be fixed. This one and any other one you could find yourself in. And imagine being in that church, seeing what needs to be fixed, and you have an answer for that. You have a skill, you have a talent, you have an experience that would uniquely fashion you to meet that need, to fix that problem. And when you go to fix that problem, thinking that your hands are full, you look down and there is no talent, there is no experience, there is no skill in your hands. Your hands are empty. Paul says, if we go to make a contribution in a church family, but love is not our goal, we offer nothing. If you have prophetic power and you can tell the future and you know God's specific will for every single person, but you're not motivated by love, love is not your end goal. It would be better for you to not offer anything at all. If you could do what Jesus said, you had enough faith like a mustard seed to say to this mountain, be moved, thrown into the sea. Paul says, if you could do that, but you're not motivated by love, it's worthless. So as we seek to be church family, love has to be the beginning, through the middle, and the end. Pursue love. Love is the foundation for any meaningful contribution to other believers. Number two, Desire spiritual gifts so you can offer them as gifts to the fellowship of believers. Desire spiritual gifts so you can offer them as gifts to the fellowship of believers. Again, in verse one, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, the apostle Paul describes those different gifts. Earlier in this letter, he talks about how we are the body of Christ. All of us make up Christ's body. He's the head. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are abs. Not me. Some of you are abs. (laughs) And we all fit together perfectly just as the way that the spirit wants to. And this is how he describes those gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's a manifestation of the spirit. So instead of saying spiritual gifts, the more accurate way to say it is the spirit's gifts. It is a manifestation. It is a revelation of the Holy Spirit's power. As Jesus ascended, he made a promise. He wasn't leaving his disciples alone. He sends the Holy Spirit who has been with us followers of Jesus ever since. So a spiritual gift isn't the same as something you're good at. You may be a great teacher. 
Maybe a teacher for a living, that's what you do. And you understand lesson plans. You understand the human mind and how to connect with it. You understand the perfect way to communicate and when to put your action sentences, when to put the hooks. You know how to do that. But just because you have that skill doesn't mean it's a spiritual gift. The way you know that you have the spiritual gift of teaching is that when you teach, the Holy Spirit's power is at work. You may have great skill in hospitality. You love opening up your home or your apartment. Uh, You know how to decorate it so that people feel welcome. You know how to arrange your uh, furniture just right. You know, we don't, we're Christians, so we don't believe in feng shui, but whatever the Christian equivalent of feng shui is, you know all of those things. Maybe they even write about your hospitality in a magazine, but that doesn't mean you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. The way you know is that when you host people, when you are hospitable, the Holy Spirit's power is at work in that person's life. It's a manifestation of the spirit. It's the spirit's gifts in us for the common good. We are not the primary beneficiaries of these gifts. They're for one another. That's why we should desire spiritual gifts so we can offer them as gifts back to other believers. Number three, especially desire New Testament prophecy. Verse one again, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Now, I think we should start by saying what New Testament prophecy is not. It is not Old Testament prophecy. In the Old Testament, there was a very small handful of prophets. When they spoke, they said, thus saith the Lord. It was a direct word from God to them and their words, many of their words became our scripture. In the New Testament, it's different. It goes from being a select few people where their words become our scripture to the apostle Paul saying, I want all of us desire spiritual gifts. And if I could choose one for you, I would choose the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now it's for everyone or at least for everyone to pursue. Maybe not everyone is going to receive this gift, but it's different in nature than Old Testament prophecy. It's also different from robust thinking and learning about the way of Jesus. We should be studying the scripture as we seek Jesus. We should be thinking about it. We should be understanding. We should be studying the things that we don't know. None of us should be content to say, you know, there are actually parts of the scripture that I don't have any idea about and I've never had any idea about them and I'll probably die not knowing about them. We should be seeking those things out. As you're driving, you should be thinking about the ways of Jesus and his words and how those words are applying in your life. So the spiritual gift of New Testament prophecy is not some idea that popped in my head as I was thinking about that. The apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. We should be growing in insight. We should be growing in understanding. We should be growing in our way of applying God's word to our life. That is different from the spiritual gift of New Testament prophecy. So what is it? I love the way that Dr. Sam Storms defines it. You can see it on the screen. New Testament prophecy is the speaking forth in human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. It is the speaking forth in human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. Again, it's spontaneous. It's not, I was thinking about these things or I was meditating on the scripture as they rolled around. It was out of nowhere. This came to me as I was praying for you. This came to me and it doesn't seem to have a rational trail that I could find of where this thought began. The only, the only way I know to say is that I believe that God put this in my mind. And as he put it in my mind, now I'm speaking it to you in a way that you can understand. The book of Acts that tells the stories of the very first churches, 
is filled with the New Testament gift of prophecy. Acts chapter five, you may remember Ananias and Sapphira were a radically generous couple. They were caught up in the generosity of the first church, which we mentioned last week. They went and sold a piece of their, their, their land and they gave a, a ton of it to the church. I mean, so imagine somebody doing that here. Uh, you, you have a house and you sell your house and you give most of the money from the proceeds to the church. We would name the church after you. That's like unbelievable. You know? They did that. Uh, the, their problem is that they let everybody believe that they gave, they gave all of the proceeds to the church. And there's a big gap of pride between I gave most of the proceeds to the church and I gave all of the proceeds to the church. They let everybody believe that they had been the most generous possible. And Peter supernaturally knows that they didn't, that they kept back some from themselves. So he asked Ananias about it. And Ananias says, I don't know what you're talking about. He asked Sapphira about it. I don't know what you're talking about. Long story short, they ended up dead. So the moral of the story, do not lie at church. Lie in the parking lot if you want, but do not lie in the church. I'm just kidding. Don't lie ever. Uh, I I felt like I should make that clear. But Peter supernaturally knew the situation. Acts chapter 11, a prophet named Agabus, which is a very prophetic name. It's much stronger than prophet Curtis. <laughs> Agabus comes to the leaders of the, the church, the early church, and said there's going to be a famine in and around Jerusalem. And the early church took his word seriously. In fact, so seriously that as the apostle Paul began to plant churches all over the place, he collected an offering for the people in and around Jerusalem so that they would have food to eat during this famine. Acts chapter 13, we know the apostle Paul because of Acts chapter 13. He and his friend Barnabas are set aside to become missionaries, to spread the gospel among the Gentile world. And it says that that church in Antioch was led by teachers and prophets. Acts chapter 15, verse 32, Silas, a ministry partner of Paul. In fact, they ended up in prison together in Philippi. Silas is referenced as having the spiritual gift of New Testament prophecy. Acts chapter 21, verse nine, Philip the evangelist had four daughters. They're referenced as prophetesses in Acts chapter 21. Same chapter, Agabus comes back. And he prophesies again, this time that the apostle Paul is going to be arrested when he goes to Jerusalem. From beginning to end, we see this gift operating and we should seek it. That's what Paul tells us. We should desire all the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Why? Because of the next thing I want you to write down. The New Testament gift of prophecy builds up, it encourages, and it comforts other believers. It builds up, encourages, and comforts other believers. Chapter 14, verse two. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but to God. For nobody understands them since they are, in, they are speaking mysteries in the spirit. So the apostle Paul compares two supernatural spiritual gifts among the church. The first one is prophecy. That's what we're talking about tonight. The other one is speaking or praying in tongues. Uh, it's like when you go to pray out loud, but instead of English coming out, a language that you don't know comes out and it may not even be a human language. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the way he opened up that chapter when he says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals, that's the languages that all of us speak or of angels. That's speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. And Paul says it's a good gift. In fact, later on in this chapter, he's gonna say that he wishes all of the 
Corinthians, spoke in tongues. Some of you are like, my mind is blown. Don't just blow by that. We don't have time. Two years ago, I preached the message about spiritual gifts. We spent a significant amount of time talking about tongues. I'd encourage you to go and listen to it. It's at BayouCityFellowship.com. Just do a little Google search. I'm sure it will come up. Don't Google about that in general because weird stuff comes up. (laughs) But in the context of our website is good. Paul says, speaking in tongues is, is great. Praying, praying in the tongues of angels is great, but only one person knows what's being said. Only one person is being built up because you're speaking in mysteries to God. But when you prophesy, everybody is built up and everyone is encouraged and everyone is consoled. That's what it says in verse three. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The New Testament gift of prophecy builds us up. It fortifies us. Most of us are well acquainted with what it feels like to be torn down. In the Old Testament, God instructed Nehemiah to build a wall around Jerusalem because God's people were exposed and vulnerable. Some of us wake up feeling like that. We're consistently fighting, in my mind, four enemies that are referenced in the scripture. The first one is our own sinful nature. We like to blame a lot of other people for our problems. The most guilty person is the one that looks at us in the mirror. We fight against, we war against our sinful nature. We also war against suffering in general because of our sin, because of everyone's sin, because of sin that's been woven into the fabric of this world. We all suffer, we all experience pain and we fight against it. We're also warring against the world in general, not the people of the world, but the system of this world because it's not organized itself according to the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus. It's organized itself according to the fourth thing that we fight against, which is Satan himself. Our enemy, the enemy of Jesus, the ruler of this world. We're constantly fighting, 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 fighting. And in the battle against those four things, our walls can be torn down. We feel exposed and vulnerable. But when somebody comes and gives us a message from God, it builds us up. It fortifies us. It rebuilds those walls. It also encourages us. To be encouraged means that somebody or something or some word comes alongside of you and encourages you to keep on going. And it also comforts us. It says for consolation, it consoles us. If you ever visited someone in the hospital that was not your immediate family, you know how nerve wracking it is to ride up the elevator. Your hands get sweaty. Because the whole time what you're thinking about is, uh, I've come here to bless and my worst nightmare is that I would do harm instead of good, that I would say the wrong thing. I think I've told you before, but the first couple of times that I visited someone in the hospital who was very, very sick, I was very, very young. My, the first thing out of my mouth was, how are you doing? Of course, they are doing terrible. They're laying in a hospital bed. So even today, when I go and visit someone in the hospital, I, I'm, I'm nervous because I've come to do good. And the the worst thing in my mind would be to try to do good and not know what to say and say the wrong thing. And they wish that I had not come. But what if you could go and visit someone in their pain and not only not be nervous, but be confident because you knew exactly what to say to them. Because as you were praying for them, God spontaneously brought a message for them And you came armed with something that not only was fine, but would really make a difference in their life. Think about yourself on the other end of that. As the one who is suffering, the one who needs comforting. 
If someone could say to you and, and offer you more than just, I'm sorry, but as I was praying for you, I think that God wants you to know this. Think about what a difference that would make in your life. So sometime in the last year and a half, I was in one of those moments as we all get where you just feel beaten down a little bit. You feel a little bit alone. It doesn't matter if you have great friends, great family. You just kind of end up feeling a little lonely. And I was feeling like that, that God was a little bit far away. I wasn't sure. Are you pleased with my life or uh, do you like me? Uh, I'm kind of doing all these things. I feel a little bit like I'm on a treadmill. And one night after church, one of our mother hens here at Bayou City. This is a real gift to God is to have spiritual mothers around. Uh, she came up after church. She said, you know, I was praying for you. I was singing about you. And I just had this picture that Jesus was right behind you and he laid his hands on your shoulders. And that was really all she said. She didn't give a long, now here's four things that I think you should do. She just kind of said that. And I held it together in the moment, but I went out in my very masculine truck and cried like a baby. Because that was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to be comforted. And somebody brought me more than I hope you'll be fine. And I wish you well. But I think God wants you to know this. I think this is why the apostle Paul says we need to desire all the spiritual gifts. But the gift of New Testament prophecy, it has some unique ability to it. Now, I think it is important to to say some do this and don't do that. You know, we don't want a bunch of wayward prophets running around here. So here are a few things I want you to write down really quick. Do test every word. Some of you are cynics and you're thinking, man, if somebody walked up to me, said, God told me to tell you this, I just, I just can't believe that. And you know what? The scripture affirms that thinking. First John chapter four, verse one, the apostle John writes to a church that he loves. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So if somebody says, I think God wants you to know this, you need to test it. What has God said to you? How has God been leading to you? What do you know about the scripture? Does that align with what God has already written down, recorded, protected, verified for us in the word of God? Test it. This is what the apostle Paul does in Acts chapter 21. Agabus comes to him and says, you're going to be arrested in Jerusalem. Makes a big deal about it. Takes a belt, wraps it around Agab uh, Paul's arms to say, you're going to be bound just like this. And then Agabus and the rest of the crew that was surrounding Paul, they start urging him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go. You're going to get arrested. Who knows what's going to happen after you get arrested? You could die. They could kill you in prison. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, you're breaking my heart. And then he ignores Agabus's words. He ignores the words of Philip's four prophetic daughters. Why? Agabus had been right about the famine. Agabus is right. Paul is going to be arrested in Jerusalem. Because he says in Acts chapter 20, one chapter before 21, when Agabus puts that belt around his wrists, verse 22 and now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Agabus says, along with everybody, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get arrested. And Paul says, sorry, I am going to Jerusalem because I am a slave to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is leading me to Jerusalem. Paul tested it. It did not align with what Paul knew God was doing in his life. And so he received it with an open heart and open mind, but he tested it and he set it aside. You have to test these words. 
Does it align with the scripture? Does it align with what I know God is doing in my life? The second do slash don't is don't say God told me. Don't say God told me. For a couple of reasons. First, the Old Testament prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. Remember, that was a very small group of people. God dealt with them in a very unique way. Their words became our holy scriptures as they were inspired by the spirit of God. New Testament prophecy is different. It doesn't become Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and that blank page at the end of every Bible, this one guy said to me this one time. It's different. So we don't say, thus saith the Lord, like Isaiah did or Jeremiah did. We also don't say that because we know ourselves. We know how imperfect we are. We know that even though we get a lot of things right, we can get a lot of things wrong. We know that there are really pure things that pop into our mind and there are really random weird things that pop into our mind. So what I want to encourage you to do is instead of saying, God told me, you would say, to the best of my ability, I believe that God wants you to know this. I think that God is saying, as I was praying for you, this came into my mind. You bring it open-handed. The prophets of the Old Testament, they would bring it closed-handed because it was a thus saith the Lord. We bring our prophetic words open-handed. And then we always encourage them to test it. See, uh, search the scripture, pray about it. Does it align with what God is doing in your life and what you believe God has said to you? Because to the best of my ability, I think this is what, God wants you to know. Also, don't say more than you should. Don't say more than you should. I think this is where Agabus got in trouble. I think we're giving Agabus more publicity tonight than ever in the history (laughs) of being a church. Agabus was right. Paul was going to be arrested in Jerusalem, but then he overstepped by saying, don't go. He was correct in what was going to happen. He was incorrect in the application of that. And so if God does spontaneously bring a message to your mind for someone else, you just say the bare minimum. You get in, you get out. Don't elaborate. Don't try to fix them. Don't make recommendations. You just say, this is what came to me. Test it. And walk away. And you can trust God. If he was faithful and sovereign to give that message to you, he'll be faithful and sovereign to make sure they know what to do next. And finally, don't take credit. Don't take credit. You could see how you would begin to take credit. I mean, most spiritual gifts, when you offer them to the church, you have no idea if they're making a difference. If you have the spiritual gift of service and you serve the church and you serve people and you do things, uh, you, you rarely do people stop and send you an email afterwards and just say, thank you so much. This made a tremendous difference in my life. And I, can't, I, I just can't go on and on enough about how grateful I am for you. If you have a gift of teaching, 
hardly ever does anyone come up after your class and just, I just say, well, I want you to know that you said this one phrase and it changed my life forever. Thank you very much. You just, I'm, I'm going to respect you and love you for the rest of your life and the rest of my life. That hardly ever happens, right? So most of the time we offer our spiritual gifts, we don't know if it's making a difference. With the New Testament gift of prophecy, it is different. It's almost immediate. When you say it, you can tell that it's an intersection of what God has been doing in them and what you've just said. You can see it on their face. It has made a difference. So you can imagine that is very fulfilling and satisfying and feels good. And then the next step is to say, well, you know, you know, the reason that God chose me to to give that message is because, uh, as I pray a lot, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I pray a lot. If you prayed as much as me, then probably you would be the one getting the prophetic messages for people. Or I search the scriptures day and night. It's crazy. I mean, it's like Jesus and Paul and then me and then some other people. <laughs> then Agabus way down at the bottom. If he, had, if he had been doing more study, he would, that's why God chose me to do it. You, you, you start taking credit for it. You can see how with each time you would get inflated, 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 inflated. But it's the Spirit's gifts. And just as he chose you one time, he could reject you the next time because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So don't take credit. So where should we go from here? Well, we should become people of prayer. See, you can excel in teaching. You can grow in teaching. You can go online and figure out how to deliver more effective lessons, how to study the scripture, how to to, communicate the scripture better, but you can't force God to give you a supernatural message spontaneous for someone else. That is his sovereign will. All we can do is just become people of prayer. In fact, what I would encourage you, if, if you are not praying, if you're finding prayer and carving time for prayer, a real struggle, which all of us do, including me, I'd say, let's focus on that first. And we'll let God take care of what spiritual gifts he assigns us. But as you're praying, you should pray for the New Testament gift of prophecy. Because it's a good thing. And then if God does give you one of those spontaneous messages, then obey with humility. Follow through. Email them, text them, take them out for coffee. And say to the best of my ability, I think God wants you to know this. And if it truly is God, they're going to be built up. They're going to be encouraged and they're going to be comforted. Let's pray.